Yeah, he's named his business after himself. His surname is in his business. Of course, like he's already bought into what I'm telling you. He's being contrarian. Hey guys, welcome to the Matt Brown Show. This podcast is powered by Digital Kung Fu. And I'm proud to bring you the stories of entrepreneurs hustling today's markets and building and creating great things in their own lives and in the world of business. Hey guys, so you would have already noticed that the show format's already somewhat different to usual. Um, and there's a very good story uh, behind all of this. For the past few months, a few of my listeners have been hounding me to rebrand the show uh, to the Matt Brown Show, um, powered by Digital Kung Fu, for the simple reason that the show actually has very little to do with digital and a whole lot to do with entrepreneurship and getting their stories on record. And this is an interesting segue into this particular episode with our guest, Rich Mulholland, who, by the way, was one of the key uh, <laughs> guys hammering me to do this move. Um, and uh, this episode is awesome. We talk a lot about personal branding, and this show is a great platform for me to build my own brand. Um, and so in this episode, we explore quite a lot about branding, um, what, how to approach it, uh, what you should and should not do, and the importance of a personal brand. My perspective is that personal brands speak for you in rooms that you are not in, and that's always a good thing. So what you're about to hear is the conversation that actually convinced me to do the rebranding, and that is a very, very cool thing. And one of the key things in this episode that I'd like you guys to pick up on is this concept of victory conditions. Um, It's a concept that I know will help you grow your business. So without further ado, enter Rich Mulholland. I have the absolute privilege of having the man, the legend that is Rich Mulholland with me today and this morning. So how's it, Rich? How's it? How's it? So I'm uh, in your offices for the first time. We spoke about this on your first time on the show. So if you guys haven't checked that out, please go and uh, backtrack through the episodes and have a take a listen. It's fucking insane, yeah? <laughs> you get free hugs with coffee. So that's good. You do get free hugs with coffee. <laughs> cool. So today our burning platform is branding. Uh, we're also going to touch on a few other things, um, and perhaps we should pick up on probably the most recent uh, kind of feedback I got from you, which was the lo- on the last episode of the, well, not the last one, DKS number 55, where it was with Brent Spilly, uh, Spilkin on, on, the, on the podcast, and we spoke about freelancing and the future of the agency model. Uh, again, if you haven't um, had a chance to check that out, please do so. But Rich fundamentally disagrees. Our point was that the agency business model as it exists today is dead. Um, I agree upon. I agree on that. Yeah, you agree on that. Yeah, sure. But the future is where we where there's probably a point of departure. So we were making the point about freelancing and how freelancers um, have the opportunity or the potential rather to disrupt the current agency business model. Um, so so why do you disagree? What's your what's your feedback on what we had to say? Well, I guess one of the first things that I felt is that you'd said that uh, freelancers are a type of entrepreneurs. I don't think that's true at all. Freelancers are not trying to build anything. Freelancers are subsistence farmers. What they're saying is rather than work as part of a big farm, I'll go farm enough for what I need elsewhere. They can transition into an entrepreneurial space in which they start trying to build businesses, i.e. make money off other people's time. Then then what they need to do is what's happening, or at least the mistake that I see is that all they're doing is they're basically forming up and then becoming other new small agencies, and they're following very similar models. Uh, that doesn't make sense. If you're a big company, you don't want to break away from that big company, create a small company, and then operate under the same way. Mm. It, that is nonsensical for me. Now, I know that wasn't what you were suggesting, but I, I feel like uh, what we need is better organization, better organizations, not more freelancers. Yeah. So, so I guess this is the debate, right? And I suppose there's no right or wrong theory. I think the, the proof is always going to be in the pudding, right? So I suppose it's about who has the idea to effectively take to market and do it in such a way that it becomes a first. And I know you have different views on being first. And I think you mentioned the other day about to me about, um, being the leading follower. Fast followers. Fast follower. Yeah. 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 What is that term for us? 
Well, for me, uh, we work with a lot of big corporates on innovating, and they always try to come up with these new big first-to-market ideas. But actually, that, that's not the role of a big corporation. The role of a big corporation is to be agile enough to be the fastest follower. Let somebody else do your R&D work. Let somebody else break all the rules that you actually can't rule because of governance and contracts and all kinds of things with your customers. And be ready. So if you're in the insurance industry, they were, the insurance industry was never going to create lemonade. Uh, which is an AI-based uh, short-term insurance company that can pay, pay claims within three seconds from the claim being submitted with an algorithm that is better than any kind of human controls we have in place now. Mm-hmm. It's doing all the checks. It's just doing them fast. Now, Liberty was never going to come up with that or Dial Direct or any of those companies. However, what is exciting is the companies who are agile enough to see that this is happening, to be talking about it early and to say, well, how can we roll this out to our base? And I think that's what you should be focusing on more than trying to design something in a skunk works. Mm. So, so going back to freelancing then, do you think that someone is going to disrupt the agency model? Yes, but I think it's unlikely to be a freelancer themselves. It's more likely to be an entrepreneur that has decided that there's a better model of organizing the freelancers. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, cool. Got it. Cool. So let's segue into branding, right? So you've been on my case now for fucking months about rebranding uh, the show to the Matt Brown show. Um, why is that? For listen. Well, there's a few things, and it's not actually about rebranding. I think the show has rebranded itself. I think the show started off when you had a vision way back when. So I actually wrote a book called Legacide. And I think you're suffering a legacy thinking of your own. Uh, When you started the show, you obviously wanted to talk about digital and all of these things. And you thought, hey, digital kung fu, like Mm -hmm. what is the martial arts of digital? Let me give people tips and tricks every day about how they can be better at doing digital things. That may well have been the show you started, but it's not the show you've become. You're a show about entrepreneurial hacks, about what entrepreneurs are doing, getting inside the mind of these people. And it's the same reason Missing Link years ago dropped the word interactive from her name. When we were Missing Link Interactive, we were making interactive CD-ROMs and web pages and things like that. But what I, as soon as I realized, well, hold on a second, why do I want to limit what I do to that word interactive? When I pulled that away and we became Missing Link, all of a sudden I had options and I was able to, to grow and, and to specialize into what we do now, presentations. And it's, when I tell you the story, if somebody asks me, oh, the name Missing Link, what does it mean with presentations? Oh, we're the missing link between you and your audience. I can bullshit it until it sounds like it makes sense. But, oh, what is the link between digital kung fu and what you're doing and, and getting inside the mind of the entrepreneur? You have to do a little bit more gymnastics to get there. Yeah, I guess because you were saying that the uh, when you – because you do a lot of public speaking and um, I think you, you – ping me a WhatsApp voice note and you were saying that the show keeps coming up and when you say digital kung fu, they go, what is it about? Is it about digital marketing? Yeah, so I have these conversations and it's actually one of the guys who was on your show the other day, Jed Myers, yeah. was recommending you uh, to a group of, of business owners and he said, guys, you must listen to, the, he said, in my two favorite podcasts that you must, must listen to is Tim Ferriss and the Digital Kung Fu Show. But he immediately jumped and said, but guys, it's not digital. Uh, Don't worry. It's not about digital stuff. It's actually about business. And the fact that your listeners are qualifying that. Mm. So, But there's more to it. So I think I can see that you're building a brand and a business and a consultancy in the digital kung fu space. So I would be all for having um, powered by digital kung fu, your leading supplier, such and such, or however you want to do that. But even when you just said right now, if you said, "Hey, hey, welcome to DKFS and DKFS became your show name, that would be fine. But I also think there's something in this case where you're a guy who came out of corporate, who's building a bit of a name for yourself, but people are saying the digital kung fu show and Tim Ferriss. And I can't understand why you wouldn't want it to be the Matt Brown show mm. or some variation with your name in it uh, in order to try and build that reputation powered by digital kung fu, which means you get a double hit. Yeah, I, I understand the, the reasoning there. I guess I was chatting to Elon Reyes about this. And I said, you know, I've been, I've, Brent um, and Rich are telling me to rebrand to the Matt Brown show. And he looked at me and he said, why? And I said, well, you know, but I gave your reasons about how it's got nothing to do with digital. It's really about entrepreneurship and helping entrepreneurs. What's the name of Alan Reyes' business again? Reyes Corp. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, that's a little kind of shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, he, he's named his business after himself. His surname is in his business. Of course, like he's already bought into what I'm telling you. 
He's being contrarian. <laughs> okay, fine. I guess, okay, so let me finish my thoughts. Fuck. Yep. It's tough interviewing you, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so so my end game is to is to build a brand. And that brand is Digital Kung Fu, right? So there's the podcast, there's a consultancy, and then there's the community of entrepreneurs, right? So those three things feed each other. And the idea is that I'm going to, and then of course there's the product side of things as well. So the idea is that I'm going to build all these platforms with the idea of the end game to really sell it. And um, my only reservation is that if I get into a point where it's sellable as a business, right? There's recurring revenue, all that good stuff, and we at scale and whatever the situation might look like. And I sit down in front of a potential buyer of the company and he says to me, Oh, I noticed your podcast there, the Matt Brown show. Um, what happens when, if we buy your company and you leave, then what happens? So, so that's my concern because if I leave, then it removes that equity within that platform. So, the client is going to buy a business from you. They're probably not going to buy multiples. You're trying to create multiple layers, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But right now, for me, the podcast is, is technically, and you can decide. You're either building a podcast business or you're building a uh, media business or whatever it is, or a consulting business. Mm-hmm. My business coach, Will Fosser, the guy who actually coached myself and Brent originally, mm-hmm. uh, said to me when I first tried to hire him, he said, uh, Richard, I will coach you in any of your business ideas, but only one. And you actually at some point have to pick one and focus. Now, the worry for me is that I believe if, if somebody did buy your agency or your consultancy, mm. the podcast wouldn't necessarily be something. I mean, even if it was called the Digital Kung Fu Show, if you left, no one and you were running it up to 500 episodes, nobody would be buying it. They would still know that you're intrinsically tied into it. However, I think it's also worthwhile. Let's think beyond this. Let's say you do build up the uh, digital kung fu to be a big asset and you do manage to sell that, that mixed farm consultancy. Then what happens is you have to build something next. But what's amazing is you sell your entire business, but you maintain your audience. So your audience comes with you. They're actually with you throughout the project, throughout the sale of the deal. And then when you want to start the next big thing, you can activate your new audience instantly. Mm. And I think there's a lot of power in you doing that. Mm. Uh, but I also think one other... Um, I, I think that if you do want to build up Digital Kung Fu, the podcast, as an asset within Digital Kung Fu, the digital consultancy, then stop talking to people, entrepreneurs, about the future of freelance mm-hmm. and start talking about digital. Like own a space. If you want to talk to us in a missing link context, mm-hmm. you can have a 100 conversations where every one of them is going to come back to presentation and strategy because that's what we do. And I will make sure that every conversation comes back to that because we have chosen a narrow niche to own. If you own that niche, but then I want to start talking about social media and branding and things like this, outside of the context of missing link, it's lost. But as a concept of Richard Mulholland, well, it's totally easy. Cool. So you're basically saying if you're going to keep it digital kung fu, talk about digital sort of thing. I think that's a, a, a fairly, fair, fairly obvious yeah. connection. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you disagree? Pardon? Do you disagree? Um... Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, yeah. What are you, can I ask you one question? Yeah. Let's turn the tables a little bit. Yeah. What are your reservations? Other than the fact that the future sale of the business, doesn't it make sense to build a personal reputation and brand for yourself? Yes, it does. I mean, I think personal brands speak for you in rooms that you're not in. It what also, about rooms? Would you like to speak in rooms where you are in? Would you like to do more? Yeah, yeah, speaking? yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I guess my reservation is, I think it's actually a confidence issue, eh? Because I suffer, I've mentioned this in the podcast many times, like I suffer from imposter syndrome. I think we all do to a less or a larger degree. No one's immune from it. And when you first said to me, oh, the Matt Brown show, I was like, fuck it. Make, I know, I remember I still said to you, I think it makes sense. I can't really argue with logic and reason, uh, let alone you. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think just as being... That personal brand, I've never really been comfortable with that. I mean, you could decide. I mean, you could go Matt Brown show, or you could go like uh, getting down with Brown or something. You know, like it doesn't have to be <laughs> the porno. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bow, 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 wow, wow. But I mean, it could be. Hey, welcome to getting down with Brown, and today getting down with me is Richard Mulholland in the trenches. We're here. Whatever. I mean, you could create 
a, a brand that ties to your name, but doesn't necessarily, if you didn't want to go all out there. However, if you, you, I guess it comes down to your personal victory condition. And victory condition is everything for me. It's a concept that rules my life. But it comes down to your personal victory condition. If you want to build a big digital empire and that's your immediate victory condition, then change the conversation. Make sure your podcast is a leading voice on digital and go that way and package it into your business. If you want to build a brand for yourself and you want to become a household name around entrepreneurs and speakers or whatever that that space is that you are, you want to be invited to speak on stages and get paid for it, then ruthlessly build towards that and make sure people know your name. And when people know the Matt Brown Show, Matt Brown Show, Matt Brown Show talks entrepreneurship and this and that, the next thing, and then here the Matt Brown does speaking, which of course you can also advertise at the end of your show, all of a sudden connections will be made. Okay. Cool. Um, how have you gone about building your personal brand? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can't literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I, a lot of it by accident. Uh, for the first time, probably in the last six months, I've started trying to get a little bit more intentional about it. So it happened by, uh, having a big opinion in a young platform and smart, influential friends. So, you know, when, when, I, when you have opinion about something and then you're, it's Mike Sopforth and Craig Rodney and Brent Spilkin and, and Nick Harry Lambert and Justin Spratt and all these guys are your mates and we're all having this conversation and retweeting each other and Simon Nigel, all these people, all of a sudden your voice gets amplified. Uh, by you get credit for the people that you keep company with. And so I think I was quite lucky in that um, I had an opinion in a small group that uh, helped to build it. And I think this is what you've done fairly well as well. You've managed to build a network of people. Like, like I was joking with you the other day, every time I meet somebody interesting now, the first thing I do is email them an intro to you because I think they should be talking. But you've managed to organically build this. You, you've, and it sounds almost horrible, but you've worked your way very, very conveniently nicely into the circle of people who want to make you part of it and that's kind of what i did accidentally and luckily social media was much smaller then and also through blogging years ago we were very very active in 2001 in the south african blogging community mm. looking forward if you so let's let's use me as an, as a guinea pig right so so i'm gonna rebrand it fuck it what can i what can i possibly when? congratulations well done you finally got what you wanted well, why don't you run a poll? Why don't you ask your guests and listeners? I'm going to, but uh, in my, it's more just yeah, getting feedback from the listeners. I, look, they're not going to disagree, to be honest. And I, I generally, yes, I could go out and say do a poll or whatever, but like it's my decision at the end of the day, um, and it kind of makes sense. So, but I will do that just to make sure I'm not missing any red flags. But um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so going back to myself, so if I'm going to build this personal brand called Matt Brown, he's a public speaker, the Matt Brown Show, talks about entrepreneurship, he's a CEO of Digital Kung Fu Consulting. How, what are the kind of key action steps or what advice would you give me around how to proceed with that? So if you were going to say to me, it, let's take a year, I'm going to do this over a year, quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four, where do I start and how do I evolve it? So the first thing I would do is I'd work out how you want to win the association game. And by that, I mean, uh, years from now, if somebody says the name Matt Brown, they say, oh, he's the guy or vice versa. Luckily, if somebody turns around and says uh, somewhere in the world, oh, I need um, uh, presentation advice. Luck luckily, or not luckily, intentionally, somebody on social media will at some point turn around and say, oh, you need to go speak to Rich or you need to go speak to Missing Link. 
we, we have, I've tied my name in with the association that I wanted to have. So I built a personal brand in a personal space. I've also like little other little quirky things. If somebody says to you, Oh, I'm looking for board games or things or if, in Don Packett, my business partner's case, it would be bird watching. Like you want to be associated with something. You don't want to just be smart guy because, uh, the people in the market for smart guys are spoiled for choice. Yeah. Okay. So that would be my first step is what do you want to be? The, the thinker of artificial intelligence, blah, 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 whatever that may be, the future of podcasting, of communication, or of digital, or whatever. And I think you have to start deciding on that. And the way to do that is to try a number of things and see what bites, both what you're interested in and what your market start asking you the most about. Mm. So, so the obvious one there for me is pretty much where my consultancy is positioned, which is helping clients navigate change and getting into that disruptive product space so that for me is kind of i could hang my hat on for god knows how many years right so then what i'd be doing is i'd be saying okay let's say disruption and maybe you have to to think of a term that isn't that true what's his face from tbwa's term so say come up with your version of that yeah and then imagine every guest gets asked three disruption questions mm. in a formula that you come up with all of a sudden you create methodology and work around mm. uh, this thinking around disruption Mm. Yeah, I mean, so the word disruptions obviously got negative and positive connotations. Um, so, and I'm trying to stay away from that, but it's very fucking hard when you're living in a business environment where disruption is everywhere you look, um, as is innovation. And it's kind of like saying, well, you know, where's the, what's the kind of thread? And, and this is where I'm careful about not trying to be a clever consultant or a smart guy, where you try and hijack a term and kind of make it your own. So for instance, it wouldn't be just, it'd be like, I don't know, just outervation, the outervation guy. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, like that doesn't really do it for me. So, but again, you can also have an opinion. So you can say disruption by itself is broken. We're not trying to break existing models. We're trying to re-implement or resolve existing or new problems. And like I said, I talk, and again, this is not a sales pitch. It just happens to be something I think about. And like I said, I talk about the solution trap that when businesses start, they start off trying to solve a problem. At some point, they actually solve the problem and they go into phase two of their business, which is refining the solution. You actually keep on trying to refine your solution to make it better, to make more profit. How can I sell it better? How can I do it more? What can I achieve? And all of a sudden, you're wondering why you're not getting business anymore. And you realize that you're solving a problem that no longer exists. And what happens with disruption is what they're actually doing is they're finding, they're, they're finding the new problem that exists in the space and they're solving that. Uh, so, and again, it, it's weird. Like, uh, people think Uber disrupted taxis, but Uber actually disrupted transportation in general. I never took taxis before, but I sold my car. I have a motorbike and if it's raining, I take Uber. Mm. It was not an alternative to a taxi. That was never an option for me. Yeah. And it's, it's about solving new world problems that exist today. So they could be building something around that. And I don't know what it is, but I, I think that, um, you probably do have to find some degree of, at least put your peg in the in the ground and say, well, this is what I stand for. Yeah. What do you stand for? In what way? In terms of your personal brand. Well, I certainly believe quite strongly in, I mean, I've got question everything tattooed on me. Uh, sometimes people think I'm contrarian. I'm not actually argumentative by design or by choice. Is that the way I figure things out is getting into debates and forcing other people to give me knowledge. Mm. So if I'm not 100% sure that I have opinion on something, I'll provoke the, the biggest scab and I'll see what fights I get back. And I'm constantly questioning everything. Sometimes it worries me. I feel that people think I'm trying to be contrarian. Uh, or like the issue with the marches, the People's March the other day. I was so angry and frustrated about it from when I was standing in the middle of a march. And I wanted to write about it. And I kept on penning the piece and saving it as a draft and penning it. And I thought, people are just going to think I'm trying to be difficult. But I'm not. But I just wanted to provoke more. Mm. And I think, I like to think that I'm a provocateur, but in the right way. Like I'm trying to provoke for what I believe is a positive end, not just for being a dick. <laughs> You're definitely not a dick. But I can come across as a dick, which yeah. is uh, to many people the same thing. It's not my intention, but also I'm perfectly happy to polarize people who don't understand me. Yeah. I've been called arrogant so many times for that exact same reason because I have an opinion. And, and, and if I don't agree, which is exactly the same as you, and I don't know whether it's like a Scottish thing because I've also got Scottish in me. But, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, the reality thing. is like, yeah, I mean, it's just like, if, so if I'm in a fucking boardroom and a client says something that's bullshit, then I'll say that's fucking bullshit. 
Do you know what I mean? And that often comes back to, to bike. So I'll say that in a slightly different way. I'll turn around and I'll take their bullshit and I'll say something like, okay, okay. Now, I like that you said that the wall should be red. I think that's a great idea. You know what red makes me think of? Robots. Robots are amazing. I love robots. Oh, listen, blah, 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 blah. Shit, you know what we should actually do is make it silver, like the color of other also robots. And then come back and say, so we're going to paint the wall silver. Yes, great idea, Bob. And he says, thank you. And like I'll find ways of, of maybe taking somebody's idea and working around to make – I try not to make people, for the most part, sound stupid, although I get it wrong sometimes. Mm. Okay. So we're detouring a little bit, but so now I've, I've found this thing that I'm going to hang my personal brand on, right? Where do I go from there? You, you pursue it with intent. You decide on what your victory condition is towards that. So by the end of this year, I will do at least two paid speaking gigs, or I will be asked to write at least three articles, one on business day, one such and such, or I will submit and be published in these publications around this topic. I will host X amount of shows and I would even include a prop, a guest that you feel is a high water mark for where you want to achieve this year. And I would create a set of rules that make sure that every single thing that you've done furthers your audience one step down the line that Matt Brown is an X, where X is what you decide. Mm. So every single time I finish listening to an episode, I must come off and I must think, yes, that Matt guy, he's this guy. And you need to make sure as well that the, the thing you stand for is something interesting and stands apart. When we were missing Link Interactive, we made interactive CD-ROMs and uh, it could throw a stone out of our window and hit 100 people that did the same thing, 100 people that hit websites. Now, in terms of presentation strategy, I'd back myself at the Olympics that we know presentation theory better than most people. And uh, so I'd rather stood for something that was a problem that people needed solved. Now, I'll never have as big a business. Probably if I'd stayed interactive, I would have been a big, meaningful company that was sold for lots of money. But... um for me, in my personal journey, I'd far rather stand for something because I'm not a particularly greedy guy. I'm happy with having a, a relatively nice, good life. But, I, but I'm greedy for attention in the right way. And that only comes from carving out a meaningful niche. Okay, great. Um, let's talk about Get Rich Quick. So if you guys haven't heard about it, it's Rich's video. Well, you explain it better, I suppose. Yeah, it's a YouTube channel designed to just simply create a conversation outside of uh, maybe when I'm on a stage. Uh, people will often come up after it's after a talk and say, well, where can we interact with you more? What can we do? They'll follow me on Facebook or they'll friend me on Facebook, which is not something I necessarily want from an audience point of view. This is I actually have a thing that says this is where I post just photos of my kids. Uh, and I'm mindful that there's probably a better way to share ideas outside of that. And working with Brent, he encouraged me to try and, and push some video content. And when I started writing again on a blog called Get Rich Quick, which was a ghost your blog, uh, one of the first comments was, dude, why are you still writing like this? Why aren't you creating video? Really? And I thought, okay, well, let me, let me give it a bash. But it's slow as fuck to gain traction. Yeah. But, uh, but okay, I'm, so the first thing is I love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's bite-sized stuff, which is great because I don't have a lot of time. I think your audience is entrepreneurs, right? Um, and I think, you know, digital video as a medium is like the future. I mean, you could play there for, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, and it's produced very well. Do you still edit everything yourself? Uh, no, no, no. I, most of the time the guys will, will okay. edit. Although I've asked them to move to Filmora, which is a different, easier software, and then I'll just start editing again. Okay. It's, it's tricky. If the, if the team is busy, then, mm. then I'll do it. So the idea was that I wanted to edit myself because I wanted to prove that I could. However, uh, there's also a best use of time, which is important. I've got a friend, Christoph Magnuson, who is amazing when he edits all his own videos. But I mean, it takes up 50% of his time. Mm. And I can't help but wondering if one of the smartest entrepreneurs I know wouldn't be better off hiring an editor to do that and spending his time doing other stuff. Yeah, exactly. What's your victory condition for the Get Rich Quick Show? There is no victory condition for Get Rich Quick Show. Uh, Get Rich Quick Show is a path to victory for Richard Mulholland, for what I'm trying to build for myself. Okay. Uh, last year, for the first time, my personal work uh, created more profit than missing link so speaking and doing things like that i want to build a reputation that is international i have a victory condition around a certain amount of international paid speaking gigs outside of a certain network mm. uh, to try and expand myself there i have a goal with regards to writing that i want to do and i would certainly like to grow the get rich quick 
video podcast or video show in, in order to uh, uh, help meet those ends. But what? for me, it's about building a, an international reputation. Yeah, I suppose that's that's amazing. Hey, to be in that position, global public speaker, you know, big bucks. Yeah, but also um, I'm quite lazy, and uh, I actually enjoy. We all are. <laughs> yeah, and well, actually, well, I mean, I think there's some people who are not. There's some people who thrive on. Uh, I used to do that when I was in my twenties. I love missing link, and I, I realized it was my hobby more than anything else. And just like my other hobbies, kung fu and ice hockey and things like that. The kind of novelty of doing those things wore off and I find something new, uh, board games, whatever the case may be. And actually, I've got to the point where I'd far rather play a board game uh, than run my business. Now, for a lot of people, this would be horrific and shocking. But actually, as soon as I came to terms with the fact that this is really just a hobby for me and I want to pursue my path of least regret and everything, that that for me is, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I, I want to look back with the least amount of regrets. And... Um, I know that in this case, if I was to die in the next 10 years and I didn't get to share a stage as a peer with a Malcolm Gladwell or a, a Tim Ferriss or any of these thinkers, uh, I would be very upset. When I sit, go over to these international conferences and I watch them, I feel like I've got opinions like these guys have opinions. I want to be on that stage. I'm not, I might not be as good as them, but I'm certainly not miles away from their league. Uh, I feel like I could share a stage. Now, some would call this a degree of arrogance, but I just call this, this is, I will regret if I don't ever try and pursue this much more, much more than I'll regret not having a billion dollar business. Yeah. Um, why, if the content, oh, I think the content's great, to be honest. Why do you think it, the traction's so slow? Because I'm, uh, is it just because it's an autumn or? leaf lying on the forest floor? Yeah, and amongst tons and tons and tons of other autumn leaves. People don't share and interact in the way that they used to or in the way that I thought they might. Uh, people will say to me, uh, I really, really enjoyed your video. And I think, wow, that's amazing. And they'll say, like, oh, I enjoyed it, but nobody will share it. And getting them to do that is tricky. And I realized the best way to make that happen is people will share things outside of their direct circle. So I think it's easier for a stranger who's never met me or heard of me to share one of my videos than it would be for the likes of you or uh, a mate uh, because it's just a, a different thing. Also, different people resonate with different videos. But from everything I understand, it takes, you need to be working at it for about a year. You need to have like 100, 150 videos. And what's going to happen is one day the right person's going to watch it. They're going to see it. Uh, they're going to start looking through your back catalog. They're going to find something else they're going to share. And, it, and it's just going to start tipping from there. Mm. So it's a, it's a, from what I understand, it's a grind. The rest of the interview is coming up shortly. But now a quick word from our sponsors. Exec Care is an executive well-being service that incorporates a clinically-based therapeutic lifestyle modification program to help reduce the high risks associated with executive living. Now, why is this important? Well, entrepreneur health is never, if rarely, spoken about. We're always talking about strategy, product design, competitive advantages, and that kind of thing. But very rarely are we talking about the things that really matter to us in a personal sense, and that is our health. Health is incredibly important for us in terms of entrepreneurship. If we don't have the ability to execute or out-execute our competition, we, it can mean the difference between success and failure. I recently went on the Exec Care program, and it's a six-hour intensive health audit where you see six health professionals back-to-back, um, ranging from a nurse to a biokineticist to a GP to a personal trainer to a dietitian, and finally a psychologist. It was an amazing experience which really revealed some unique insights around my own health which has helped me make new lifestyle decisions that are ultimately making a difference in my business. So I cannot recommend this program enough and Health Insights and Exec Care have come to the table. If you go to healthinsight.net, it's health, the word health and then I-N-S-I-T-E dot net forward slash digital kung fu and enter the code digital kung fu you will get 20% off your executive health assessment this episode is brought to you by the digital health score system it's a product that enables any business regardless of size to test and identify where their digital weaknesses are this can range from people or culture to strategy data technical and all the way to innovation it's a proprietary tool which I've tried out and I also cannot recommend this tool enough. It'll give you insight into where you rank in your industry, but more importantly, against your competitors. 
So go to digitalhealthscore.co.za and give it a try. Oh, and one more thing. If you guys are running a small business and you would like some free promotion on this podcast, please drop me a mail. Hello at digitalkungfu.co.za and I'd like to give you the chance to give your business a free bit of fame. Yeah, that's yeah, to your point. Um, there's just so much content out there, but a lot of it's crap, eh? And I think it's fucking hard to build a community these days through content. And that's really what that YouTube channel's end game is strategically. Um, <clears throat> so have you thought about media to buy attention? Um, yes, I wouldn't mind. So I wouldn't mind buying attention to some degree, but it would have to be smart. But the way for me to buy attention better would be to uh, agree to speak on a certain international stage for free and to, to get a point across there and then to maybe drive the conversation afterwards and make sure that I'm driving people. So I've started doing things like putting audience at richmolholland.com uh, in my, at the end of my talks or audience at richmolholland.co.za or something. And uh, it sends them to a mail that they go onto my mailing list and I send out thoughts and mails and some things once a month. But also I'm terrible at that, so I keep forgetting. Yeah. So... Let's talk about Legacide. What's the general headline around Legacide? What can we learn in the book? The, so it should possibly be called Legacide and Other Stories. Um, but because I think you'll get the, I could explain the concept of Legacide to people in five minutes flat. What I tried to do later is demonstrate uh, different examples of where Legacide has happened, each of which is trying to introduce a different concept altogether. But the basic idea around Legacide is that uh, a lot of people think that um, innovation is about doing something new, when in fact, generally, innovation is about stopping doing something old. When you as an established business are struggling to innovate, it's because you've caught up in a – it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle, to quote my friend Howard Mann. And you are just – you find a way of success and you're sticking to it. And what we realize is if we, instead of having people look into the new world and asking, hey, why doesn't this exist? If we actually have them look into their business and ask the same question, is far more effective. Why does this exist? Why are we still doing this? This problem in our business, why are we still trying to solve it? Is this still the best way of solving it? Does the problem still exist? And if the answer is no, you should change that. Um, what was your writing process like? I wrote on an airplane. Every, so I commute every Thursday down to Cape Town and back again every uh, Sunday. Uh, I've done that for the last nine and a half years. And I wrote every page on the plane. No and, way. Yeah, every page. And I wanted to write a book in a two-hour flight that you could read in a two-hour flight. I hate how long business books are. There's so much legacy in that alone. Like a, a novel, there's value for money if the novel is longer because it's a leisure activity. Mm. So the longer the book, the more value. But in a business book, it's completely the opposite. The shorter you can make your message. If you can get your point of your amazing big book on negotiation across in 100 pages, then that's amazing. If you stretch that out to 350 pages, then you're wasting my fucking time. I want to get through four business books. I don't want to read yours longer just because your publisher is trying to make a novel-length book because that's the size it's supposed to look on the bookshelf. <laughs> uh, did you self-publish? I kind of did, but then I was approached by a publisher and now I'm published. Okay. So I actually never even published. I... I had told myself I had a victory condition to write a book by 40. I'm 42 now. And what had happened was, uh, as I was coming a month up to my birthday, I realized, shit, I've not finished this bloody book. And the reason was I had it finished, but back to your imposter syndrome. When I spoke about the book on a, on a stage, in my head, it could have been a bestseller. But if it was actually in the market, it could have just been another ignored book that no one's going to read. Mm. But when I realized that I wanted to write the book by 40 and it was close, I'd sold a speaking gig to a big client. And they said, oh, do you have a, can we, can we buy copies of your books for the delegates? And it was like 700 people. And I just said, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> and I was like, shit. And I quickly finished the book and it was released the day before my 40th birthday. And then I put up a website and I said, hey, if you want a copy of the book, let me know. And lots of people signed up to it, like hundreds and hundreds of people signed up to it. And I just never bothered. And I left it for ages and ages and ages. And one day a publisher phoned me and said, hey, listen, um, I got a copy of your book where I heard about your book. Can I get a copy? And she came and got a copy. And the next day she said, I don't like your book. I love it. Please, you must let me publish it. And that's where we went from there. And she's been phenomenal. Okay. How many copies did you print or have you printed? Myself, like a couple of thousands. And they always saw that within a few days of us printing. And the publisher? 
I have no idea. No idea. But, okay. but quite a, I mean, it's in most bookshops and take a lot yeah. and things like that. Okay. Is there a website? Is an ebook version? Yeah, you can get a Kindle version of the book on Amazon. Uh, you can get, and Take a Lot has it, Exclusive Books has it. My favorite would be walk into an Exclusive Books and ask them for it. Even if you know exactly where it is, just ask them for it. Even if you're not going to buy it, then just leave. <laughs> and if you see it on the shelf and it's got the binding corner out, turn it so the big faces out. Make this a national sport. And uh, I love people have been sending me photographs showing me how they've turned my book around or spread it all across the bookshop. <laughs> uh, they're going to kick me out, but I, I do like this disobedience is fantastic yeah. <laughs> yeah that's very cool man so i want to talk about public speaking um how often do you speak now about twice a week twice a week and generally what are your subjects that you cover i have a number so yesterday i did a talk on uh it's called activate your audience it's on presentations i talk about legacy and legacy thinking i have a talk called hacking the expectation engine about changing people's expectations I have a talk called Leadership and How to Avoid It about being a shit leader and why that's a bad idea. Uh, I'm just creating a new talk on negotiation, which I'm quite proud of. I have a talk called The Irrelevance Bomb and Artificial Intelligence. I have, I have a bunch. So my master deck at the moment is sitting at 1,200 running minutes of content. Wow. So, uh, and that's just because I've been speaking since my son was born. He's 14. Cool. So if I was a brand or, or clients, whatever the case might be, and I wanted to I was book... I say a brand is a place marker for a company name that should never be used if you know the company name, <laughs> but, but we'll go with it. Hi- hypothetical. Hypothetical yeah, cool. situation. Like I said, it's tough interviewing you. You're fucking hell. Anyway, <laughs> but um, so, so there's a... How do you, basically, what I want to get to is how do you know what talk to give? So if you've got a thousand plus minutes of content, great content... Uh, to talk about what are the questions you're going to ask me as the buyer of Rich Mulholland, the speaker, to help understand what you're going to talk about? So it's actually the same question we'd ask you if we're working with your missing link. When, so for us, it's actually not about the speaker. It's always about the audience. Your job is to activate an audience, right? They've got to leave in a different state than they were when they came in. And you have to have intention around what you want that activation to be. And that's a victory condition. If when I get out of this room, the audience does not do X, I have failed to find X. And that's the question. A client will say, if they don't think differently about how we deal with our customers, or if they don't rethink the way that we innovate within our business, or if they, and when I find that, I would then say to them, so I've got what I call turn up and talks. They're just easy talks that are already created, and I've got five or six of those. If it fits perfectly into one of those, I'll say, hey, um, so what I think you need is maybe... Um, Five mistakes entrepreneurs make. Here's why. And then I'll go through that talk. And then they might say, okay, but that one's not quite so relevant. I said, well, what I can do is I can add in this content from my master deck that will change, change what it is. And then that will often work. Uh, occasionally it'll be a case of uh, creating something from scratch. Those usually I hold off for big public events like heavy chef or net profit or, um, what's the one coming up with suits and sneakers. There I'll create some content new for that and see how that lands. Mm. Okay, and um, and how do you like? So I want to get into the meat and potatoes of putting together a speaking product, effectively. So let's assume that you're speaking for forty five minutes. I heard you speak about AI, by the way, um, at the suits and sneakers MBA thing. MBA yep. thing, yeah. Um, by the way, I thought the relevance bomb thing was Peter's concept. No, it wasn't it? Was it yours? Okay. Yeah. All right. I read about that. I, I, I saw you write, I saw you wrote about it. Use the concept and use the term irrelevance bomb. Yeah, that's the name of that talk. Okay, cool. Yeah, but, but him and I spoke about similar things. Oh, you did? Okay, cool. Um, so how do you, how would, how would, how does one go about putting together a 45 minute talk? Cause I suppose there's, I suppose I remember one of the things you mentioned was you got to be entertaining, but also is it educational? Yeah. Well, you have a double whammy. If you're a paid speaker, uh, you're generally hired both to be, informative but also to be entertainment uh to some degree now bear in mind entertainment might just mean damn interesting it might not mean you know clowns and and things like that it's it's okay for you to be serious you don't have to be a, a circus act however you have to be mindful that you're also paid to you're forming a part of a journey that their conference is full and there's uh, lots of content come across with their business and they want something that's a bit different they'll often put you in one of the hard slots so they might put you right after lunch or they might put you first thing in the morning or in the end of the day and depending on each one of those slots i'll have very very different content preparation um so so but the first thing is that and i guess before you start 
it's probably difficult to go to your first client, get your first speaking gig and make up a talk. What's probably a better idea is to decide on a problem that the world has, figure out a talk, have an opinion on how to solve it, structure that opinion into the format. We always say, give them a reason to care, give them a reason to believe, tell them what you need to know, tell them what they need to do. Turn it into that format and then go and sell that. Or even just sell the trailer. So we've got about five little mini keynotes that we do of Missing Link for free that I'll come in, I'll do an 18-minute TED-style talk to their marketing team on why their conference sucks. But all we did originally was we created trailers on these things and sent them to those clients. And when they when they said, yes, I'd love you to come in and do one of those for free, we, we wrote the talk. Okay. You don't have to have everything. Yeah. Um, I've got an event coming up on in May. It's currently on the 5th of May. Um, I might move it back, but would you be up for giving one of those talks? There's two entrepreneurs, uh, Rich is grabbing his phone, checking his very <laughs> limited availability. No, 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 <laughs> that would be a, a pleasure. But um, the fifth, I'm speaking in Cape Town at an old mutual talk. And then I've got a an international Skype thingy at 9.30 at night. An international Skype thingy? I'm a member of EO and this is a yeah, lot yeah. of I know, no, I'm just yeah. taking the piss. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually Zoom, which uh, really, really kicks Skype's ass for what it's worth. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so I'm down in Cape Town in the morning. Where's your gig? Uh, it's Adam Pillow, Mark Shem's spot. Ah, cool. Awesome. Yeah, Mark was going to speak, but it looks like he might not make it or speak very late. But anyway, it's 50 to 80 guys, all entrepreneurs. Um, we're just basing on an opportunity for me to share some of my strategic content. Um, yeah. I wouldn't share it. Why not? I would give. I would just give your content for this one. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would actually. Why would you want to have somebody else if this is your first of those kind of gigs? Yeah, and make it you. It's a guest speaker, though. But you be the guest speaker. Well, I'm, it's my event, so it's no. Like but you want to be the talent, so I don't do MC work. I refuse no, flat no, no, out. Yeah. Refuse to be an MC. Yeah, because then you're the guy, the glue between the talent. You want By the way, that's a good use of the word glue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's I don't, to me, it's again, it's just an opportunity for me to build relationships with them, and if that means that someone else is a conduit to doing that job, then fuck yeah, that's whatever. a good idea. Cool. So you were talking about victory conditions. I just want to unpack the meat and potatoes around that a bit more. Um, where does the concept come from, and what is what are its implications for uh, for entrepreneurs? Okay, so let me start backwards. Uh, the implication is that one problem that business has is it doesn't have an end state. A business by design, I mean, I guess there is an end state in that build up and sell, and that's an end state. But uh, And in fact, for many people, that would be a victory condition. But generally, there are many, many games to play before you get there. That's not an instantaneous, and it's difficult to think only about that. So uh, I play a lot of board games. And I realize that in a game, I'm always trying to strive for a specific condition of victory. And if you were to change the condition of victory of the game ever so slightly, the entire way that I would play the game changes. The analogy I'd give to people, if I said to you, take a shit game like Monopoly, which you should never, ever, ever play. But if I gave you a Monopoly and I said, okay, normally you would go around the board until one player has all the money, that player wins the game. And it can take forever. And I said, but let's say I change it up. And I said, well, just go around the board four times. And at the end of the fourth time, uh, whoever has the most balanced portfolio of properties, they win the game. Would you have to play slightly differently? Mm, right. Yeah. If I said, you just go around the board four times and at the end of the fourth time around the board, whoever has the most dominance on one color will win the game. Or whoever's earned the most money off just one color specifically would win the game. Would you play differently? Absolutely. Right. Now, Monopoly is a, it's not a terrible game. It's just a very, very old game. It's from like the same, we, Monopoly came out the same year we learned to fly. And so it's very dated. But there's not much you can do. It's very deterministic. You roll dice, you move, you decide if you're going to buy or not. Um, and that's it. And uh, even there, you would tactically execute the game in a very different way. So we convince people that if that's true, then if I ask the entire board of directors of your business to write down what they think the victory condition is, it's obviously important that it would all be the same, correct? Yeah. And they say, yes. And I say, out of the 10 people that I'm going to speak to, how many do you think would give me the same answer? And they laugh and they say two or three. And in truth, they're correct. And so what happens is you have entire groups of people who are running the business who consider the business's victory condition to be uh, different. Mm. That means tactically they're executing against a different end state. And that's a, a very, very severe problem. So I believe that businesses need to create fictitious victory conditions or end games uh, that they are playing towards at any period of time. And what we've discovered is revenue is not a good end game. 
Revenue is a if this, then that end state. So if we achieve X, money will happen. It's not interesting enough because all it means is sell more. Whereas if you had win a, X amount of a certain size client, if we do not have five or 10 clients by the end of the year, we have not won. It doesn't matter how big they are. It just means that you're trying to get retainer clients. And yeah. then the money will be a byproduct. Is a victory condition the same as a kind of BHAG or a big, hairy, audacious goal? I don't think so. I think a BHAG is more like a vision to some degree. Mm. Victory conditions are things that you have to have in real time. So let's say my BHAG is our vision at Missing Links to save the world one board audience at a time. And let's say I play towards that. That's not a victory condition. That is, I guess it is a, an end state that I would like to be at is what we're trying to do in the world. And I've got a BHAG. I've got a big goal to, I've got a big idea around how I think we can do that. However, on the way there, for example, right now, our victory condition is to create 100 POW decks by the end of the year. And I'm not going to go into exactly what that is just yet, but that is a very specific end state. Mm. And if we've not worked out how to achieve that, then I, I don't think we'll be able to work towards our BHAG ultimately. Yeah. I suppose to achieve the BHAG, you're going to have a number of victory conditions. Absolutely. You'll you have... might have a victory condition for sales, marketing, people strategy well so generally what i would refer to those as is those would be paths to victory Mm -hmm. and the victory condition would be an end state in time now if you wanted if your end state was to sell your business and i said to you well when do you want to sell it and you said in 10 years that's too far to be a workable victory condition there's too much work along the way so if i said to you well let's break that down into steps uh again howard mann i mentioned earlier he called it goal jumping he would break it back and say well if you want to sell in 10 years where do you have to be in in five years and if you, want to, if you want to be there in five years where do you have to be and he breaks it all the way down to where do you have to be in the next three months mm. and in my mind that we were trying to create a victory condition for a business in one or two years a year is a nice number if by the end by the next beginning of the next financial year we have not achieved x and you must be definite about that x equals such and such and it must be measurable it must be easy and it shouldn't be a financial number unless it's something like 10 retainer clients of more than 100,000 rand each, for example. Uh, but then you need to be pursuing that ruthlessly. And if you don't, you don't win. Because that's what I realized. I was playing a game against Don, a game called Star Realms. And halfway through the game, I realized, wow, if, if I played games the way I ran Missing Link, I would never win. Because Missing Link, it wasn't about running to win. It was about running to not lose. I was doing things to stay afloat, not think because I didn't actually have a direction. I'd put my direction years ago and I was still just coasting and drifting towards something meaningless. So all I was trying to do is make sure that I stayed afloat. That's a really, no wonder people get bored of companies. Yeah, that's true. Have you read a book called Scaling Up? No, by Vern Harnish. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's the kind of... Well, it was the... Fuck, what was that bloody book? It was rebranded to Scaling Up from a book that was written... Like he was one of the founders of EO. Um, I'm not sure it was this guy, dude. Oh, because the scaling up book is by Vern Harnish. It's yeah, I'll post this up in the show notes. Awesome, awesome. But basically, he was talking about the same thing. So he didn't use victory condition as a um, as a as a term, but what he was saying was that as a business, right? Once you get some traction in the marketplace, if you want to scale. There's no point in setting 10 or five year or even three year goals or ambitions, right? Sure, he says you must have a BHAG, but from a scaling perspective, it's important to work actually on a quarterly basis. So it's basically you were saying you have your victory condition at the top, which is what you're going to achieve in one year. And he says, then set a sort of a mini goal, if you like, in the first quarter, then the second quarter, then the third, and then finally the fourth. And he says your whole team needs to work towards that one Q1 endgame. Now, this sounds a lot like Howard Mann's uh, goal jumping. In fact, this is an amazing guest you must get on. Is the author of The Business Brickyard, Howard Mann. Yep. I can put you in touch if you like. Cool. But uh, he talks about that very, very, very well. And he breaks it right back down into 90-day goals and why, why you should have that. Okay. Yeah, and it makes sense for me because the thing is it just helps galvanize and align your organizational team and your people towards one single-minded play. So it's like, we're going to only do this one thing in the, over the next 12 weeks. And it helps break down the kind of stepping stones that you need to achieve in order to reach that one year 
in game. Okay, now the one thing, and I guess it's probably not completely away from that, but the one thing to be careful of is people people spend a lot of time trying to get people to fly in formation. When in fact, all they should be trying to do is get them to fly to the same place. Uh, direction is, is we must be careful because uh, so, uh, next week I'm going to a conference in Germany. There's 1,200 entrepreneurs there. Yep. It should be an absolute nightmare planning the logistics of us getting there, but it's not going to be because all that's going to happen, all they've done is they've told us, be in this conference room on this street in Germany, in Frankfurt, at this time on this date. They've given us a there by then, and every entrepreneur has figured out how to get there by themselves. And it's so easy because the victory condition, conference room A, 9 a.m. on the such and such of, of April is all we require. Then they don't care if we get there by boat, by train, by bicycle. For them, it doesn't matter. It's just the end state. Yeah. And I think the business has spent far too much time trying to teach people how to fly in formation, how to get to a certain thing, how to behave, when in fact a far better idea is just to make everybody agree that they want to be at this place by that time and let them figure out how to get there. It is Vern Hornish, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Vern Hornish was the founder of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Really? Yeah. Sure. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. So I want to talk about... Jed Myers, you picked, you mentioned him earlier on. So he runs Health Insights, and I actually went for my um, entrepreneur health checkup. Awesome, not good, <laughs> <laughs> but better, better the devil you know, right? Yeah, exactly. So you went as well, right? Yeah. And what did they? What did they? Was there anything that was revealed to you at the end of that session? Absolutely. I, I mean, there was there was a ton, and in fact, there was. Uh, we went. We didn't go as a group, but we committed to do it as a group. So there was eight of us as entrepreneurs all went. And then we shared all of our personal results. And what amazed me is what I thought is everyone would have like this, everyone struggles with the same thing. There's about 10 different things that came up. Uh, one person might be blood pressure. One person might be cholesterol. One person might be weight. All of these things. And and I realized that it was a really good, we as entrepreneurs try to keep ourselves accountable uh, in these various peer groups in many, many ways. But funny enough, we don't try to keep ourselves accountable to health. We'll talk about issues of our family. We'll talk about issues of what's going on in our head. We'll talk about issues of what's going on in your business. Mm. But we'll be completely tolerant of a person arriving every day, getting more and more overweight or, or more and more um, unfit. And other things as well. And, and I, I just love the fact that we've now created, I now have an accountability group around my health that, that discusses it three or four times a year. Specifically your health, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talk business and everything, but that accountability group has now added health to our agenda because of what we did. Yeah. When I said not good, I meant the results for me, not the actual process. The process was amazing. Oh, yeah, I figured. Yeah the, yeah, the process was was and that's what actually made it easier. Is I really enjoyed it. It didn't bother me at all. But the uh, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just not nice facing up to the reality of where you're at. I mean, I'm obese. Are you? Yeah. Really? Functionally. Oh, right. Okay. From like an American standard, I, I guess. But again, I don't feel comfortable. And, and yeah. so it's sometimes helpful having these markers. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm actually giving Jade and Health Insights a permanent space on the show. Uh, just to talk about this, because it's the one thing to your point. I mean, we're always talking about fucking innovation and strategy and victory conditions and nothing actually about the person or the entrepreneur and more importantly, the health, because if we don't have health, we have basically nothing. You know, we don't have that business. I think it's an amazing idea. One of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Ludology. And every second episode is a micro episode around a specific topic of game theory. So they'll do a long form talk for an hour on, they may break down a game or a mechanic, but then they'll every they they only produce every other week and in between they do these small little game tech episodes which could be like your entrepreneurial health nuggets or your little things that you could have yeah. uh, but but I really like the idea of of getting people to think about this I think more entrepreneurs should yeah so Rich that concludes your time on the show dude it's been an hour so thanks so much um, always great to get your opinion on record thanks very much for having me I've really and enjoyed it and thanks for your advice I really appreciate it and yeah here's to the Matt Brown show part about digital kung fu <laughs> there we go here here rock on dude ciao Rad, bye <laughs> so one more thing before you go guys I'm offering a keynote talk uh, it is a talk that is 60 minutes uh, in length to executives called the digitization of business and disruptive technologies. The session is designed to empower executives and their teams with the means to unlock new competitive advantages in a business environment which is becoming increasingly competitive. 
The session also includes a 30-minute lab or practical session where you will leave with a new perspective on the threats surrounding your business. So if you are interested in booking me for this keynote, please drop me a note. Hello at digitalkungfu.co.za. And for listeners of the Matt Brown Show only, I am offering this talk at a 5,000 Rand discount. So if you'd like to book me for this talk, please drop me a note. Hello at digitalkungfu.co.za. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu or our guests and the full show notes, all you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So till next time. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.